Hi, and welcome to the Well Read Podcast, a bi weekly discussion on books and reading. I'm Hallie. And I'm Anne. And we are librarians who love to read and talk about books. And today we have a very special episode <laughs> because, first of all, we had a listener suggestion that we used as our main topic today. Uh, which is exciting for us, and we have a very special guest with us today, the person who lives in my house with me, (laughs) (laughs) the love of my life, (laughs) Jeremy. Hi, Jeremy. Hello. (laughs) Welcome to the Well Read Podcast. I'm very excited to be here. Thank you for inviting me. We are so happy to have you. So let's give some background on why Jeremy is here with us today. Uh, We got a listener suggestion after our... Which episode was that, Anne? That you talked about the golden age... You talked about the golden age of cookbooks, right? Yeah. I I don't remember what we were talking about, but I used the phrase we're living in. Oh, it was because... Was it the our favorite bookish places one where I said oh, that yes. I buy cookbooks constantly because we're living in a golden age of cookbooks? Yes, that's exactly what it was. I think that's right. And um, and so we had a listener suggestion that we talk about this alleged golden age of cookbooks <laughs> that I have proclaimed. So. so I will admit that I wasn't... I didn't jump on that idea right away. I am not a huge cookbook person. I don't... I'm not a big cook I wouldn't say I, I do it but I don't particularly seek it out but Jeremy happened to be in the room when we were recording that day and he heard my half of the conversation and so when I got off he said I think it would be fun if we if we did this so we decided that we would uh, find some cookbooks for you know pick out some acclaimed cookbooks and cook from them for several weeks and then we would do a podcast recording and for the sake of this week we are going to rename our podcast and Jeremy can share what the new name is since it was his idea. Oh so I get credit for the corniness. This week will be known as the well-fed podcast. I love that so much. Yeah so the well-fed podcast this week we are going to be talking about some cookbooks. And are you talking about some of your favorite cookbooks? Is that what you're going to do? Um, yes, I, I would say these are some favorites. Okay. And then we are going to be talking about, since we didn't really have a favorite, I would say usually when we're finding new res- recipes, we use the internet more than we tend to use a cookbook, right? Yeah. yeah. So we went out, at, we, uh, Jeremy went out and found several <laughs> cookbooks that he looked at some information online, picked out some cookbooks for us. And so we're going to share what our impressions of the cookbooks were and uh, how our cooking experiments went. Is there anything else we want to say? Do you want to talk a little bit about why you referred to this as being the golden age of cookbooks, Anne? Yeah. So basically, I if I buy a book, there's a 99.9% chance that it's going to be a cookbook at this point, <laughs> mainly because I read fiction from the library and from stuff that publishers send me. But cookbooks, I just can't get enough of. And the reason that they're so good right now is because it's like the perfect melding of text and uh, interesting recipes. And and there's much more interest in world recipes right now than there mm. ever has been, but also the photography and just the quality of the book. So if I look at the books that I got in the 90s when mm. I was a teenager and, and started collecting cookbooks, they just are not very beautiful and they don't reflect the awesome content that's that's 
in the recipe, which Mm -hmm. are written by amazing people, but they're just not beautiful. Mm -hmm. And so now cookbooks have really jumped on kind of feasting with your eyes, I would say. And so the photography is just out of control. Awesome. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so that's why I feel like there, there are just so many, I mean, I, I own, I don't know how many cookbooks, like maybe a hundred or something. And, and I just could stare at all of them. They're so beautiful. (laughs) Do you keep them in your kitchen or do you keep them with your regular books? um, I have a second shelf that's kind of like a half shelf, I guess, Mm. that um, when I was moving in, my dad said, that would be like, you have enough room here for a little set of of shelves. And so we got that so I could purposely have my cookbooks. But now it's kind of bled a little bit into like from just the books I've bought here in Nashville has now bled into uh, my regular bookshelves. Um, But I have them organized in very specific ways. And, you know, that's my thing. So, but I love cooking out of them. I I kind of went the same way where I was doing everything from the internet. And I Mm -hmm. do love lots of food blogs and lots Mm -hmm. of food websites, but there's something that I find extra satisfying about cooking out of a cookbook and, um, in many cases, I feel like those recipes are a little bit better vetted than mm. a lot of stuff you find I, online. Yeah, so. that makes sense. People who have blogs have to keep content right. constantly being updated. And so that right. might change the, the quality of it. Yeah, I would say right. we really enjoyed it. I think that it was something that wasn't, we hadn't done it before, but I think it was really fun. We we can talk more about it as we talk about each of the cookbooks, but we would sort of focus on one cookbook and cook from that and then move to the next one and then the next one. So we would have several days worth of cooking from it. And it was fun, I thought. Yeah, it was a very good time. Yeah, we enjoyed it. All right, well, Especially why don't you tell for you guys us... to do together too, which is really a, a Yeah, fun well, we thing. often cook together. So it was, uh, I would say we we typically cook together. Yeah. So it was fun to, to expand our repertoire. We said there were a couple of, Definitely a couple of things we will be making again in the future and just adding to our regular rotation of meals, which needed, especially after being home so much in the last yeah. five months, that it we needed some refreshing of what we make because we are constantly falling back on the same old, same old. So we, we needed we some We tend to stuff. make two or three things <laughs> all the time. Yeah, yeah. 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 All right. What's your first one, Anne, that you want to talk about? Can I make an announcement first? Oh, of course. I got a new hamster. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Tell everybody about your new hamster. Um, her name is Fern, and I love her. Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah. She's black and white. She looks like a little cow, which is why I picked her out. Um, she hates me currently, but I love her unconditionally. So well, that's we'll the way see it should how that be. works. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, congratulations. I'm very Thank happy you. that you have mm-hmm. another another loving being in your house tiny buddy yes your tiny friend yeah um okay so i go first yes okay so the first book i'll talk about is zahav the world of israeli cooking by michael solomonov and stephen cook and i think that israeli and palestinian cookbooks are just massive right now i think it started with jerusalem by yodam yodam i'm not saying that right yodam Adolengi, and then has kind of blossomed from there so i think i have four actually and i want every single one of them because everything in the in every book i check out is amazing so michael solomonov has a um a restaurant called Zahav in Philadelphia. And I think you tried to go, you said. <laughs> yes. So <laughs> I was in Philadelphia in January. Yes, January for a work conference. 
we usually try to seek out some more notable restaurants when we're at a work conference and go as a team of whoever is attending. And we go to some nice dinners and we get to try some interesting food and it's always really fun. So maybe a week or two before we were supposed to go, we start looking at famous Philadelphia restaurants or not even just famous, just good, yeah, highly rated restaurants. And we saw Zahav. And so we we thought, well, that'll be great. Let's go, let's go there. <laughs> and we called to make a reservation. They basically laughed at us. I mean, it's the reservations at the time were months and months out. You, wow. can't, you couldn't call for, well, and for a group that size, I should say. Maybe if you were a oh, single okay. person, you could get in more quickly. But yeah. we had, not we a, had new a restaurant. fairly large group. Yeah. So we couldn't get in with just one week's notice. So it's yeah. my dream to go back to <laughs> Philly one day and go to Zahav. Well, I will join you because I really want to try it too. So he, I think, kind of became famous for, he, he had a hummus recipe that, that um, was published online and, and, you know, people knew it through the, the restaurant and it totally changed how I make hummus when I tried it. And the secret is that you put baking soda in with the chickpeas when you cook them and it makes the, the chickpeas break down more. And so it makes it ultra smooth and it's just unbelievable when you eat it um it's so good that in 2015 bon appetit named it their dish of the year which is you know very high praise Mm -hmm. so this book was written with michael solomonov's uh, business partner stephen cook but the book itself is very personal to him and he dedicated it to his brother who died serving in the israeli army Mm -hmm. and uh, michael had been somewhat adrift before his brother's death but had found a, a path that he was uh, really enjoying through cooking, but his brother, his brother's death really made him lose that path again. And so he moved to Israel where his parents had, had moved. He's American, but his parents had moved back to Israel where they were from originally. And for the first time he saw it as a chef and he was totally entranced by the food there. And he says that uh, Israeli cooking isn't quite a melting pot. It has all of these different cultural elements that are thrown together, but each each is still distinct, but each is necessary to making up the whole of Israeli cuisine. So you have Palestinian food and, and Yemeni food and Iraqi food and uh, Persian and Eastern European, and they all exist in this one place and make it really one of what I think is one of the most vibrant food scenes in the world. So I cooked... I think four dishes, maybe, maybe five. So I first made shakshuka, which is the picture that we posted on our social media. And everyone is kind of in love with shakshuka right now. It's the tomato sauce that has eggs baked in it. Um, And it's just endlessly adaptable. So I I have a ton of zucchini right now through my CSA. So I put that in with it and it was super good. Um, One thing that's hilarious though about it is that it calls for 16 eggs. Holy Which cow, how many people is it feeding? I think it's supposed to be for eight. So okay. Oh, well, that makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. But I do not have a dish big enough to fit 16 eggs. In. And also when I checked, I had one egg. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so I made my, my, I have the recipe and I made it. And I just had one sad egg sitting in the middle of, of my dish, but whatever. And then I made lafa, which is an uh, Iraqi flatbread. And that was super good for you know, bread can kind of be intimidating, but this was very easy to make. And I made an Israeli salad that he says is ubiquitous. Um, that's just basically cucumber and tomato with some acid and herbs. And mm-hmm. that was really, really good. And then last night I made a dish called uh, twice cooked eggplant. And I think it was still 
the flavor was still great, but I messed it up. And I know that from the picture, it's supposed to be very creamy and, and kind of luxurious in the way that eggplant that's cooked really, really soft gets that just um, silky sort of texture. But I think I, I sliced the eggplant too thin and it just kind of got crispy. So the, it still tasted amazing, but you cook it and then you cook it again with vinegar. So it has this nice acid and, and herbiness to it. And then today I made a watermelon feta salad, which I've made many times in my Yum. life. But this this recipe, he adds olive puree, which I had never done before. And it was so good. It has, you know, everything I ate was just phenomenal. So the, the phot- photography in the book is gorgeous. There are tons of details that he includes about different food ingredient or different ingredients of of the foods that he's making and gives a lot of definitions um he also puts a lot of information about his family in the book and so you can see that this is you know really a a labor of love for him Mm -hmm. um and it it, when it was published it won the james beard award for cookbook of the year and it's it's very apparent why so that is zahav by michael solomonov i'm saying that wrong solomonov and uh stephen cook um that all sounds other than the olive puree like things I would want to eat. <laughs> yeah. I, you I, can I, do I feel like it. the listeners should just have a picture of the face you made. <laughs> With olive she, puree? She said that. <laughs> yeah. I don't like olives. Yeah. So many people don't. And I'm happy for that because I get more. More for way. you. Yeah. All right, so our first one, and I'm going to look at what my notes say, was Meals, Music, and Muses, Recipes from My African-American Kitchen by Alexandra Smalls. Uh, Alexandra Smalls is a co-owner of a Harlem jazz club named Minton's, and he has owned uh, various other restaurants. My impression is always with a Southern flair, and he's originally from the Low Country, Charleston area, I think. There's a lot of... Uh, low country influence I think in his recipes it it generally is very well acclaimed in the restaurant world and then he also is a world-renowned opera singer and the winner of both a Grammy and a Tony award so yeah so the idea and Jeremy can talk a bit more about the the cookbook but so he brings together his passions of music and food into this cookbook yeah so that was one of the things that really drew me to this cookbook is the the melding of the the food and the music and it's a theme throughout the whole book of him talking about you know appetizers being like jazz kind of getting you into the meal oh that's really cool what i really liked and what really kind of went over the top was there was a playlist Uh so in the back of this cookbook there's a list of songs so while we were cooking one night, we put that on Spotify and mm. listened to these uh, these songs that he oh, had mentioned. That's really fun. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So the, the premise behind it was interesting, and we were excited to try the food. We had some hits and misses, I would say, with our cooking. And I some of it may have been user. Well, one thing for sure was user error in Quite that error. It, was, it was my fault <laughs> in that I was making the first first night I think I don't remember now but one of the nights we made um we made dinner and then I was going to make dessert and I made a blackberry crumble no excuse me a blackberry cobbler and I 
read the ingredients list and then I, I thought I had read the instructions but sort of scanned the instructions because it was one of those situations where it said I'm going to make up numbers but it said say three cups of sugar in the re- in the ingredients list and then what it says in the instructions is for the blackberry mix that you put in on the stovetop and mix in a pan with blackberries and sugar and lemon juice and like different things was just a portion of the total amount of sugar and then oh, the rest yeah. of it went into the cobbler part well i i didn't read that it didn't register whatever happened and so i ended up putting all of the sugar in with the blackberries and not realizing it until after i had mixed everything that the blackberries had started cooking so we we were able to salvage it it was still quite good but i basically made jam instead yeah. of a blackberry dessert so, but it was quite good. It was actually really good, but it, that was that was my fault. But I would say even though even the dishes that we didn't have user error, we had some mixed results. Other than user error, I do feel like the the actual dishes that we made some were better than others. Do you agree? Yeah. Yeah. There was one in particular that we really liked, which was interesting. I'd never heard of it before, which was Hoppin' John cakes. Oh, so you you mix up Hop and John and then you fry it. <laughs> oh, that sounds awesome! <laughs> it was and good. It was very good. And frying is not something we had done, so there's even a new technique involved. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but so one of the things I think we we liked the idea of the cookbook. We thought the actual sort of layout of the cookbook left something to be desired as far as the recipes and and the instructions and stuff. There was just something about it that made it not, especially I don't think we realized it as we were using that one, but then when we went on to the next one we're going to be talking about, we realized how much that first one could have maybe used some tweaks and it felt like that it wasn't actually as functional as a cookbook as we would have wanted. And maybe it's because we're sort of new to cookbook world. Maybe that was part of it. Yeah, we're more familiar with the internet right. where there's pictures of every step yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and details on how yeah. long everything's going to take. Yeah. You know, so these had, you know, just one list of ingredients, everything you would need, not necessarily broken down to what you need for the dough and what you need for the berry mixture. One gripe I had about <laughs> this book was there wasn't a picture for every recipe. Yeah. And... In some cases, like these Hop and John cakes, I didn't really know what they should look like. Yeah. So that was disappointing a yeah. little bit. But, yeah. you know, it was it, recipes that I wouldn't have a lot of, think of the right word, <laughs> something I wouldn't be exposed to. Oh, right. Oh, yeah. yeah. You wouldn't come across yeah. In, yeah, in, in life. Yeah. So I don't know. I feel like if we were grading our experience with it, we'd give it maybe like a a bee. It was mm-hmm. good. It was. We ate some good. We ate shrimp and grits one night. <gasps> we did fried okra. We did. Oh, we did. A, there was a lemon pie that was quite good. Mm-hmm. It oh was my a, gosh! A lemon icebox pie that I made one night that was very very good. The I mean the blackberry cobbler was incredible. I'm sure it would have been even better if I had read the instructions correctly. <laughs> so there were a lot of good things we liked, but there were some things that were just so so, and we felt like overall. Again, it was a B. There's probably stuff we would go back to and make again. And there's stuff we surely probably would go back to and not make again. Yeah. And every sauce in this cookbook was amazing. There was a barbecue sauce. Oh, there was yes. a, that barbecue sauce. a remoulade that went with the Hop and John cakes. Ooh. And there was one other one I can't think of. 
but it'd know. probably be worth this cookbook just, just to for this all no. the sauces. Oh, that barbecue nice. sauce. Oh, so good. Yeah, one night we had extra shrimp from the shrimp and grits, so we just put the barbecue sauce on shrimp. Right? Yeah. Is that yeah. what we did? We sort of brushed it. Oh, so good. So, so yeah. So overall, it was a. I'm glad we. I'm glad we used it. I think it was such a fun idea to incorporate the music. It was fun to listen to the playlists as we were cooking. And and if if Southern food isn't your natural, some people probably grew up eating Southern food. Their mothers made it or grandmothers made it. And so it's part of part of their uh, biscuits that was one of the other things I tried to make that failed miserably (laughs) but that's one of those things if your grandmother raised you were raised making biscuits every week with your grandmother you probably would be able to do it but for somebody like me who's never made them before it was a it was a good place to start it was a great cookbook to start with for that reason Um, but it was just with our second cookbook that we'll talk about we started we would refer back to that first one and say oh I wish it had done this because that felt like it more helpful way to learn how to cook from it so so that was meals music and muses recipes from my african-american kitchen by alexander smalls it does sound really fun it was fun it's it also like there's definite feelings about whether you should say in a recipe like three cups of sugar divided or yeah how like those kinds of details really can make or break a cookbook to me too so i i totally i've i've made similar mistakes myself Well, yeah, and I guess I didn't even recognize that that was something that the internet had gotten me used to because it always says that. It will say yeah. two eggs, one, you know, reserved one or something. It will yeah, tell yeah. you when you're not using them all at the same time. And so I didn't even think about it. I just put all that sugar in there. <laughs> and then literally, I mean, I was like that emoji of the guy with the open mouth and his hands on his face. Like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I just did that. I just poured all of the sugar in when I was always supposed to put a third of it or a quarter of it in yeah. there. So it was just it was my own fault. Wah, it was just wah. my own fault. The, the other mistake we made over and over was not fully understanding how long a recipe was going to take. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Which the internet has also ruined me. Yes. Because, <laughs> you know, we'd be halfway through something and it's like, oh, this has to sit for two hours in yeah. the fridge. Yeah. yeah. That happened with with two of the cookbooks that we cooked from. Yeah. yeah. And, and this happens at like 7.30. Oh, yeah. We were eating definitely past nine o'clock multiple nights. We finished yeah. dinner last. So we didn't, we cooked just a regular meal that we cook all the time last night. And we were done by... <laughs> 7.30 or 8. We said, it had been literally weeks <laughs> since we had, had finished a dinner and we were all cleaned up by 8 o'clock. I mean, we were almost every time we were cooking from these cookbooks, we were eating at 9, 9.30 yeah. at night. Just because it was taking us so much longer than we realized. And part of it's the unfamiliarity with something. Right. You're everything, take, you know, especially after that first night with the Blackberry thing, I was rereading recipes over and over to make sure referring back to them as I was doing things to make sure I was doing it right so it just took longer but yeah we were doing some late nights there with our recipes (laughs) it's funny though I I cook faster from cookbooks because I don't have to scroll through the recipe oh interesting that's what makes it because I have to wash my hands a bunch and yeah um it it makes it difficult for me too interesting online yeah so wait I actually would like to say one last thing if we were so I think we've called about so the sauces and i would say the desserts are the things that we and then the hop and john cakes would be the things we would recommend if somebody were going to go see and we didn't make everything from the cookbook so there's probably other good stuff in there there's a lot of things that i think would have made great winter meals or Mm -hmm. fall meals yeah Uh, you know just not really in the mood for it in the middle of summer. summer yeah yeah 
Okay, what's your next one, Anne? Next is Chinese Soul Food, a friendly guide for homemade dumplings, stir fries, oh. soups, and more by Cho Ching Chu. Nice. And this book, I would say, is not quite as stunning as the typical golden age of cookbook idea that I'm, I've been talking about, but it's a fantastic cookbook. And I picked it specifically because it's so approachable. Um, so this is a cookbook I found out about through a, an account on Instagram called Mad Hungry. And Lucinda Scalaquin is the former food editor for Martha Stewart Living. Ooh. And she really, really loves this this cookbook and is making things from it all the time. And her account and her sort of business that she does now is is very interested in how people cook every night and what you do when you're just trying to get dinner on the table and have it be good and delicious but not take all of your time and so that's why she's she's kind of advocating for this book so so much and so I was on board for that Mm -hmm. um I used to really cook big project kinds of things I've cooked my entire life I've always really loved to cook and since I've had surgeries in the last couple of years my energy has gone down quite a bit and so I just needed some things that were a little bit more every day I guess than than sort of the elaborate things that I've I've typically done in the past so I was I was very excited to find this so the author's parents immigrated to Missouri from China and they eventually opened a Chinese restaurant so uh Chao Ching Chu grew up in that environment of of being around food and being around people who cooked so she started a food blog and has a journalism background and decided to kind of go in this direction after realizing that there really wasn't a a place in the food world for everyday Chinese food. So she talks in her introduction about how Chinese food is typically seen as too hard and scary, and there are um, tons of unfamiliar ingredients. And I I think that that's really true, that, that I've held back from from really exploring it myself, because I'm, I always think, oh, I love it, and I love to eat it, and I love the idea of going to the store and finding these things, but if you don't have access to it, it can be really intimidating, and there are just so many ingredients that, that we're not familiar with. So one of the things I really love about this book is that she gives such clear information at the beginning of the book about the tools that she's using, and she gives sources for those tools, and mm. she has lists of ingredients that are typical in Chinese cooking with pictures of the different types of brands that you might experience. It's so helpful. So when she says chili sauce in her recipe, you know exactly what that means. She doesn't say use this brand of chili sauce, but it's you know what to look for. And there are lots of things that are called chili sauce in the world. There, mm-hmm. there are lots of things that are not Chinese adjacent that are called chili sauce in the store. And so to to know basically what you're looking for in, in a Chinese grocery store made this really approachable and really helpful to me. So, um, so she wanted to cook the foods that she ate at home herself, but she also has a section in the back of the book that is the typical American Chinese food things that people expect and she kind of has that in there as a joke just for fun which I I thought was kind of charming Um, so the things that I cooked were uh, green onion pancakes Mm. um, which I think everyone has had or you know most Chinese restaurants Mm -hmm. have scallion pancakes and they always have seemed really intimidating to me because they're very flaky and Mm -hmm. pulley and delicious and these weren't really that hard so you um, basically need a lot of room because you have to roll out your dough and then you add the filling and then you roll the dough into a tube and then you use the rolling pin to I'm saying that wrong you (laughs) 
roll out the dough, you add the filling, you roll it up, then you coil the tube that you've just rolled up. And then you use the rolling pin to kind of flatten that coil. And then you cook it in the pan. And so it gives those layers that make it so, so delicious. So then I also made pork and Chinese cabbage dumplings. And um, I didn't have the right tools to make the dumpling dough myself, which I I think I probably could have gotten away with it. But I, I have a really giant rolling pin and I didn't really feel like fighting with that uh, for something make- that I was kind of small. So I just used wonton wrappers and the filling was amazing and it, it all still really worked. And she, she gives a bunch of different techniques on how you can finish these. So she has her steaming technique and her frying technique and she has techniques to make them a little bit fancier. And so she just gives lots of good options. So then the, the reason that I made this or I, I bought this book essentially was because she had a recipe for dried fried green beans, mm. which are basically green beans that are cooked with a little bit of ground pork in a in a wok with just a little bit of oil. So it's there isn't Yum. a sauce to it really. Yeah. So I had this when my sister was living in China and I I visited her and I've been obsessed with it ever since. I think about it all the time. <laughs> so I was really excited to make this and I actually ended up kind of riffing on a different recipe that I have in another book uh, called the the food of Sichuan by Fuchsia Dunlop which is another favorite but it's uh, a much more encyclopedic book that's more written by an authority on Chinese cooking and it, it's not quite as approachable so uh, so I sort of added some Sichuan peppercorns and things that she suggests and I made something that was quite good and quite quite wonderful <laughs> so one of the things that I I sort of kept thinking about when I was making stuff from this book was that when I visited my sister in China, she had a housekeeper who sometimes, you know, not a live-in housekeeper, but someone right. who came and cleaned. Um, and she sometimes cooked for them. And my sister would sit and watch her just so she could learn how to cook herself. And the things that she made were not elaborate in any way. It was just very simple and everyday food. So she just basically used what ingredients she had. And she used different sauces and different spices and things to change things up. And it was still amazing. And the book, I think, is still is very much in that spirit of cooking, which um, is is perfect for weeknights. So the author said um, that like this this Chinese housekeeper that my sister had, her mother and grandmother also didn't have recipes and they just learned to cook by learning the basics and using what was available to them. And so that was the goal for the the author to um, convey that that type of Chinese cooking to Americans. And I am in love with it. So. That is Chinese Soul Food by Chow Ching Chu. I feel like we're going to have to try that one. You're definitely going to have to try that. <laughs> that well, and it, what's funny is we didn't plan this, Anne, but our second one is an Asian cookbook as well. Oh, cool. And so when you're saying unfamiliar ingredients, I mean, that's we went to the Asian grocery store near us and spent probably an hour or more walking around trying to find everything. And Jeremy, you can tell... You could tell our listeners why you have some knowledge of Asian Asian food and when some of the labels and things you knew what you were looking for. So I, for my job, travel to Asia quite a bit over the past 20 years or so, maybe oh, 50 wow. trips to Japan, 10 or so trips to Korea, and now... Uh, more often going to China. So I agree with what you were saying. Like the the simpler foods in China are fantastic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I prefer the simple foods way more than the fancy foods. Mm -hmm. So we're definitely going to have to try that book out. Yeah, yeah. That sounds... 
Yeah, this, right up this our alley. We like. I mean, and now often what we choose to eat not all the time, but if we're going to go to a restaurant, we're often drawn to Asian restaurants. So yeah. So we had the same idea in that our second cookbook <laughs> that we cooked from was a book called My Korea: Traditional Flavors, Modern Recipes by Huni Kim. Huni Kim is the first Michelin-starred chef in Korean cuisine, and he trained at Daniel, which is, I believe. Uh, Daniel Baloo's restaurant yeah. and then um, and uh, and another restaurant called Masa and then he opened his own restaurant in or restaurants called Danji and Hanjan and he was born in Korea and now he divides his time between New York City and Korea so um, so yeah so uh, this is another one Jeremy picked out for us based on some research he did on good cookbooks Mo- all, almost all of these came out this year right you were looking for ones that were new and had uh, good reviews and yeah my my research was basically going to google <laughs> and typing in best new cookbooks 2020 but we said solid we, yeah it was solid give research. that man an mls <laughs> yeah but no you did well i think that you picked out ones that were interesting and and also appealed to us obviously yeah yeah and this one specifically there's a few reasons I, I was drawn to this. I haven't been to Korea for a while, and I love Korean food. Um, and then also one of our favorite places to go get lunch yeah. that, you know, we haven't been able to do for a very long time, uh, you know, is a Korean place that's yeah. kind of halfway between Hallie's office and my, my yeah. office. So, oh, yeah. fine. Um, yeah. you know, thought... Let's make some of this food that right, you like. Right. So we did. And we did have to go, like I said, and stock up on some groceries that we didn't already have, especially staples we didn't have in our pantry. Things like dried anchovies we did not have in our pantry and fish sauce we didn't have and things like that. So we went to the grocery store. We stocked up. We came home. And we made three nights worth of dinners from yes. this, I believe. Ooh. and. Almost every single thing we made was incredible. It was good, good food. The first night, Jeremy made bacon kimchi paella. Oh my gosh! Which that's fun. Was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's called paella on on uh, Instagram. Yes, this is what we put on Instagram. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So it it's called paella, and Jeremy Jeremy made it. I I sat and gave moral support but it did it didn't seem like it took as long as a paella would take it was more of a fried rice almost kind of thing okay so he explains this in his book that his first restaurant didn't have enough uh gas power to fry rice the way he wanted so he kind of adapted this dish that he was trying to make and kind of turned it into a paella Mm -hmm. that's fine so it's not a true paella where it cooks for hours and hours but, but it does get sort of that, it gets a crispy bottom a little bit, yeah. uh, like the like a bibimbap wood or something like that. Yeah, and it's just yeah. got great flavor. It was so good. Well, did and I, that's one, oh, sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, did I tell you how I bought a cast iron pan specifically so I could make fried rice and get no. a crispy bottom on it? No, I don't think so. <laughs> Smart I mean, girl. I've used it tons since right, then, but that reasons, was the, yeah. the reason that I bought it. Anyway, that, uh, that paella was very good. And that was, so... I thought that this, again, not very knowledgeable about cookbooks, but one thing I liked about this cookbook was there was enough 
background about the recipes or explanation of why they were included or a little bit about his history or at his restaurants, how he does it, but then not too much of that. So it, it didn't detract from the recipes. It didn't make it difficult to find what you were looking for. It was right. a nice combination, beautiful photography of the food. I loved this cookbook. I thought that this was wonderful. Yeah, I think all of the recipes, he talks about why he's doing mm. different things. Um, whether that was because he's trying to, you know, mimic something that, you know, he saw on a street corner mm -hmm. in Korea. So it, it, it drew you in. You knew that this book was written by somebody who, first of all, made the recipes. It wasn't, <laughs> here's a recipe and somebody wrote some copy on it. Yeah. But also somebody who truly loves what they're doing. Yeah. 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 So what else? So we made that one night. Oh, we also made drinks from this one. We made ginger margarita, which we were, was that what it was? A ginger margarita? Yeah, it was a spicy, spicy ginger, ginger margarita. margarita. Uh, which both of us, it, it wasn't, it was all right. It wasn't, I was walked away thinking I just wanted a regular margarita, but it, ginger isn't, <laughs> ginger, I like ginger in food. I don't, I'm not always as much a fan of ginger in drinks, um, but it was fine. It was fine. It wasn't mm -hmm. bad. And then the next night, we made chicken wings that were excellent with a two different sauces. No, did we end it? Well, yes. His recipe is chicken yeah. wings with two sauces. We made chicken wings with one with sauce. sauce. Right. Because <laughs> it was nine o'clock and we were kind of hungry. <laughs> we were hungry and tired. Um, so we did that. We did, uh, what else did we do that night? I'm forgetting now. I think we made the spicy cucumbers. Oh, spicy! First night. Yeah, this this uh, cookbook has a lot of things that need to stay overnight and yeah. marinate, yeah. and you yeah. make six hours ahead of time. Yeah. So, to anybody who gets this book, read it very, very thoroughly before you yeah. start. Make sure you know how much time you're investing in this because there was definitely one thing when. The night, so I think we were making this on Friday or Saturday night, and we went to make one of the things, and then we realized, oh, this has to go back in the fridge for two hours. And oh, so we gosh. thought, okay, well, we'll just eat this tomorrow night, and we're going to eat the rest of this meal tonight. But the chicken wings were excellent. We had, yeah, marinated cucumbers. We had Brussels sprouts. Oh, we had rice cakes, which I don't know, Anne, if you've had the Korean rice cakes. Do you remember what they're called in Korean? Tabaki? Baki. Uh, I probably I said that wrong. They're like these little tubes of. Oh you, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah, they're yeah, in a yeah. spicy sauce. So oh, I don't. Know. I've had that before. It's so good. So good. Yeah. And this is one of the things we actually get this as like a frozen package at the Asian store for quick, easy dinner. We'll often do pot stickers, prepared pot stickers, and then these these rice cakes and that's often a dinner so we were excited to make them from scratch and think yeah oh this is something now we can make but i don't know if the rest if i don't i will say it could have been user error i could have misread the recipe i don't know if there's a typo in the recipe these things were so ridiculously spicy that <laughs> i don't know who would have it wasn't it that was all you could taste i mean it was yeah. it wasn't even flavorful in any other way than just the so much spice so i i'm not sure i think that the next night we were able to make them and water down the, the we made them mixture. with much less sauce. much less of this the yeah. sauce that was provided and so again i don't know if that was my fault but but those were good and then um and then that night we made a pear drink that was a, like a frothy pear drink that was really really good um so everything from this 
this cookbook was impressive. I would have loved to have kept cooking from it, but we had to move on to the third one. But I yeah, think we had I, we had a deadline. Yeah, we had we, we had a, a recording deadline. But yeah, this is anyway. And it I, was a, it was a good cookbook as well, much like the one you were talking about, and it, it explains what to buy at the store. Yeah. So it it wasn't scary, mm-hmm. although we did still have to use Google in the store <laughs> uh, because he would have. The, the Korean name for right. something and the store yeah. had it, the Japanese, Japanese name. Yeah, but, yeah that's yeah. that's always really tricky in, yeah. in Asian yeah. grocery stores yeah. where you have the same ingredient, but it's, uh, or, or something very similar that right. you can substitute and it's, yeah. you just don't have that much information. Yeah. Um, and if you've ever yourself. wanted to learn how to make dashi, oh, yeah. this is the book. Yeah. Oh. It, it, it just makes it, makes dashi sound like the most amazing thing ever created yeah although it it the way it tells you to taste it like I've, i don't know what this should taste like i know what else we made beef bulgogi sliders that were so darn good oh my gosh so good anyway uh yeah if you haven't gotten our enthusiasm yet, <laughs> yeah we are very we are big fans of this cookbook um all right so that was my korea traditional flavors modern recipes by huni kim Korean is basically all I want to eat anymore. Oh, so good. I'm so, so good. in love with it right now. <sighs> you need this cookbook. Yeah. yeah, I've thought about that one. That one has the the breakdown of of uh, kimchi on the cover or on the inside yes. cover, yeah. right? Yeah, I've looked at that one. We before. didn't we didn't try to make kimchi. Yeah, that might be a step farther than what I'm willing to I'm, yeah. to do. But... I'm not sure I'm going to try that. <laughs> yeah, because you just, work hard, I'm... you wait three weeks right and if it's wrong you don't have anything you end up having to go to the store anyway and you and you might kill yourself in the process right of yeah. things wrong, if you ferment so. it incorrectly yeah all right what's um, your last one okay so my last book i wanted to do a baking book because i am i enjoy cooking much more but i think i'm probably a better baker than i am a cook maybe i don't know i i have a bit of a reputation for baking um for, because i used to bring baked goods to work all the time um, when I was at my last library. So I wanted to include something. So I picked Brave Tart, Iconic American Desserts by Stella Parks. And I am a huge Stella Parks fangirl. She is a pastry chef and she had a blog called Brave Tart. And she now work, uh, she writes for Serious Eats, which is a website oh, yeah. by, yeah, um, Kenji Lopez-Alt is, is a big food person right now. Um, and his whole thing is to make the best food possible through science. Um, and also as a side note, I the the food lab, his cookbook is fantastic. And I made burgers every night for one week because they were just so good. <laughs> and they took literally five minutes from start to finish. And I just couldn't stop making them because they were so consistently perfect. And I couldn't believe that I could make something that quick and that perfect every night of the week. <laughs> so that that was I considered talking about his book too, but I, I decided that I could just get a side note in <laughs> instead. Um so I had heard about her and her cookbook um, just by paying attention to the food world. And, and her cookbook won a James Beard Award for Best Pastry and Dessert Cookbook, whatever year that, that came out. But I actually got to really be a fan of hers through Instagram because she posts stories that take you through the entire process. And for me, they're really soothing to watch. There's just something about she doesn't put a lot of filler in them. She just kind of shows what she's doing and, and uh, writes some text on the the slide and that's it and it's it's just comforting to me somehow but she's also really funny and she's 
very, very precise. And that's why she's famous. And that's why I love her, because she explains the science of baking so clearly and gives such exact instructions. So she's aiming to make you bake perfectly by making you know exactly what to look for and what to do. And there's no guesswork involved at all in it. And that's just lots of people find baking comforting, but lots of people also find it intimidating because there are just so many things that go wrong where you can't salvage it. And you say, I don't know what I did. I followed the Mm -hmm, recipe and mm -hmm. she is saying, this is, this is exactly what to look for. You don't want to say whip this until it feels like this. She's telling Mm -hmm. you temperatures to look Mm -hmm. for. And that's, that's really amazing to me. So she's also not really going for over the top decorating, which isn't really the uh, trend right now with baking books. Uh, everything seems to be extremely elaborate and really trying to sort of outperform everyone else. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she's just doing American dessert recipes that are done the best way possible. And so she explains exactly what tools she's using to get these results and why they work better. So I was reading uh, kind of the introduction to her book and I was I realized, oh, I need to get new new cake pans. Like I have to get new cake pans in order to to do recipes correctly. So she also is really into food history, which is my jam. And so I just loved that it's this extravaganza for nerds. And I I have such a great time with this book. So um, the first half of the book is kind of her, you know, her take on these these classic recipes. And then the second half is all of the food, the junk foods that she's recreated. So iconic American junk food that she's not trying to make better or fancy or like chef versions of these things, but she just wants to make the same thing, but uh, from scratch because the project is fun and mm-hmm. just for the love of making things that are fun. So she she does things like Nutter Butters and Hostess Cupcakes and Oreos and all those kinds of things. And so um, I haven't really gotten into that quite as much uh, with her book, but um, I'm pretty excited to to explore that as well. Normally, I write in my cookbooks after I make a recipe so I can write notes and sort of right. what I did and what what I thought of the recipe. Um, and I know I've made many things from this book, but I didn't apparently write anything <laughs> down. And I felt like last night when I was going through it, like I was in crazy town because <laughs> I just couldn't find any notes. And I thought that I had written them. Like, I feel like I, I feel like I wrote them down. So I don't know what happened, but one time I, I traded my sister's cookbook for a different cookbook and changed the dust jacket. And so I'm wondering if she like snuck into my apartment oh. and did the same thing to me. It was a really good prank on my part, but I'm not so happy if she did that to me. Well, so I was I, thinking maybe you bought the same cookbook twice and you have a coffee somewhere oh. that you have written in and this is a different coffee that you bought. I mean, that would be a good idea, but I I know that's not the case because I have all my books uh I've kept track of all of them. So, um, I mean, you could feel in the inside that I had made certain things. Like you could find um, flour sort of dusting a bunch of things, but I didn't have any notes. So I I feel like, like, you know, there's a parallel universe going on somewhere. (laughs) Um, So, but I do know that I made uh, her glossy fudge brownies, which are perfect because they have that papery top that is the the true form of the brownie. I don't care what anyone else says. And she puts all kinds of variations to her recipes. So for these brownies, she has danger brownies, which have the edges of the brownies are cut up into pieces. And then you make a ganache and swirl those pieces in the ganache and then pile them on top of the brownies. Oh, so I haven't made that, but I'm super excited about it. And then she also, one of the things I really love about her her presence on Serious Eats is that she has all these different types of buttercream recipes that 
um, she really breaks down the differences between French buttercream and Italian buttercream and all these these things that have pretty small differences but make a huge uh, impact depending on what ingredients you change on them and she gives a whole troubleshooting guide on how to make buttercream so I made the Swiss meringue buttercream for a cake that I was making for my boss's work anniversary and I 100% screwed up the cake but the buttercream was maybe the best dessert I've ever had and the reason for that is because she tells you exactly what to look for. She's telling you the temperature that the butter has to be so that you don't break the buttercream when you're adding these pieces of butter and exactly the temperature that you need to cool it to before you start adding things so it will work. And it just, it was foolproof, essentially. It's it's amazing. So um, my only complaint about the book is that she sometimes references other recipes while she's in the middle of one recipe so you kind of have to do some flipping which I know is a deal breaker for a lot of people uh, but if I can get results like I get with this book then I will put up with a whole lot so that is Brave Tart by Stella Parks I need to check that out I am because I do like baking more than cooking I would say I need to check that out that sounds some of those that you said like the American classics that seems like a lot of fun yeah you'd have a great time with this I yeah. think and it's a great book title it is. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> uh, all right. So our last one is A Blissful Feast, Culinary Adventures in Italy's Piedmont, Maremma, and La Marche by Teresa Lust. And I think that she is not a chef, is from what I understand from reading it. This is more a, she's a food writer, I think. And this is more of a memoir than a true Ooh. cookbook, I would say. A large portion of the book is devoted to her talking about traveling in Italy, meeting different people, learning cooking techniques, and telling the story about the food. So as a cookbook, it was a little bit... No, okay, and I should also say that I had to get a digital copy because our libraries didn't have the physical copy. So I got a digital oh. copy. So it was a little bit difficult to find specific recipes because the it wasn't it just wasn't a very e navigable uh ebook i'll say that yeah. as far as finding um finding what we needed in it so and we we had kind of run out of time so we only were able to make one recipe from this book uh, but we made gnocchi from scratch and yes. it was it was surprisingly easy i would say yeah, don't you yeah. think have you made pasta from scratch me yes yeah i've made gnocchi and i've i've i just i had to do it for a dinner party someone invited me an, an italian lady from my oh have you met her maybe you haven't met her she was she was a beaufort lady uh, oh. who invited me over for dinner and said you're making the gnocchi oh <laughs> so i just did it made it and it was really easy so we made it we i think that as we were first making it it's just basically potato flour and egg as you're making the dough and i think our egg was too small for the portion of potato and flour we had so uh. at first it wasn't coming together we were thinking what what's going on here and then <coughs> excuse me and then we added more egg and then it was fine it came together super easily it was exactly the consistency we expected uh and we were able to make it and it was so good and so and actually i'm so excited because it made more than we needed that night so we have some in the freezer just waiting for us when we're, when we're ready to cook it again and then it had a very very simple sauce it was just uh, fontina cheese and butter and salt and pepper and that was uh left a little bit to be desired in my mind it was maybe yeah, it wasn't exactly 
our style of food. Yeah, but, but the gnocchi was excellent and fun to make. And I felt like I was on the Great British Bake Off. <laughs> our, our gnocchi, though, did not look Oh, it looked terrible. No, no, no. It definitely <laughs> looked homemade. And I was trying to do the thing where you roll it on the back of a fork to get the yeah. little ridges. And that wasn't... I, I don't know. I just gave up on that about That's halfway through. That's one of those through. things that you need a video or yeah. a lot of pictures. <laughs> yeah. 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 So it's just, just telling you how to do it. Yeah. You want fork marks and a thumbprint. Right. I think it's yeah. 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 And there were no photos in the at least the digital version of this book. Oh. That's why it did feel much more like a memoir. Now, the physical version might have photos. I don't know about yeah. that. But so we were just going based on her descriptions and instructions and and even in the instructions it was that part was kind of fun she talked about salting the water and how italian women salt the water and how much they put in and the kind of salt they use and how that's sort of been passed down so everybody uses this same kind of salt but then she's she delved into it a little bit because it's a kind of salt that i guess we don't have readily available here in the u.s or something Mm -hmm. and so she looked into it and realized that no that's just because 100 years ago, that was the or 200 years ago, that was a salt that was readily available to Italian women who were cooking at home. So that's just what they used. But then it sort of got passed along as being, that's the salt you have to use when you're salting your water. <laughs> and she said, no, basically any salt will do. You just have to put a big heaping tablespoon in the water and make sure yeah. that it's well salted. But so that was kind of fun. So that part I did enjoy. And it was interesting. I was, I didn't read the whole thing from cover to cover, but I read little bits of it as I was looking for some recipes. And she has a very lovely kind of lyrical writing style and she talks about Italy very lovingly and the people she met and how how they helped her and lots of what you would expect from somebody who's writing about learning to cook in Italy lots of good stories about the people and the countryside and it was just it was it was an interesting it, it was an interesting book as far as a cookbook it was a little bit harder to find as I said what we needed but I, I don't know if that's because it was the digital version or if it's just the way that the book is set up yeah. But, Have you um, ever had that uh, Marcella Hazan um, tomato sauce recipe? That's the, it's just tomatoes and an onion that's, that you take out after it's cooked in butter. No. Oh, it's the greatest thing with gnocchi. You have to make that. Oh, well, Jeremy hates tomatoes. So the face that oh, he just made on, when he Jeremy. heard it was just tomatoes and onion. <laughs> um, well, all right. You can so make that, it on your own. Uh, yeah, I'll make it when he's out of town. Yeah. Someday. When when COVID ends. And he, yeah. We, we could leave. Now. Someday. <laughs> when it's safe, she'll make me leave. Yeah. Um, all right. So that was A Blissful Feast, Culinary Adventures in Italy's Piedmont, Maremma, and La Marche by Teresa Lust. All right. So that wraps up our cookbook chatter. Uh, I hope that... This is, I know this is a little different than what we usually do, but I hope you all enjoyed it. And we will be right back with what we're reading this week. All right. So we are back. And Jeremy, we would give you an opportunity to talk about a book that you're reading this week. But I think it's fair to say you're not a huge reader. That is fair. <laughs> <laughs> So we'll just skip over you, but I hope you don't take offense to that. I do not. And we'll go to Anne. Anne better what are prepared you... next time. Yeah, we, yeah, we'll do another well-fed in the future, and and Jeremy could read something. I'll be better time. prepared next time. He didn't yeah. have any time to read. We were cooking till oh, for sure, for sure. Very true. I get All right, that. Anne, what are you reading this week? 
so I don't want to talk about the actual main book I'm I'm reading because I want to use it for another episode. So I'm going to talk about Evelina by Frances Burney instead. And I've been slowly reading this because she is uh, she was a big influence on Jane Austen, and I've been kind of interested in that uh, aspect of Jane Austen's life as part of my year of reading all of Jane Austen. So this book was published in 1778, and it's about a young woman named Evelina who is the ward of a country reverend named Mr. Villers. And he also raised her mother, and her mother ended up, after she uh, separated from from her guardian, uh, she ended up marrying someone who was very a bad match for her and she ended up dying in, in childbirth and so she uh, bequeathed her daughter Evelina to this man and so she has this very idyllic country upbringing and she turns out to be sweet-natured and innocent and she's kind and lovely and she has a great relationship with Mr. Villers but she goes to visit some family friends who then ask if they can take her to London because she's never been and she she's desperate to go but uh, Mr. Villers uh, is very hesitant, and so against his better judgment, he agrees to this. So a lot of the book, and kind of why I love this book, is because it's basically showing a tourist's view of London in the 18th century and all of the pleasures that can be found there. So you have pleasure gardens like Vauxhall and the theater and various balls that are, are public balls uh, being given, and there are just all kinds of different excitements and dangers that are uh, in place for young women to explore. So Evelina immediately gets into trouble when she uh, goes to her, her first ball by offending a gentleman that uh, she doesn't know the etiquette. And so you see this contrast between country manners and city manners. And that's that's kind of a, an aspect that I'm interested in as well. So um, in the way that the 18th century uh, literature constantly has bizarre coincidences she ends up meeting a french woman who turns out to be her long-lost grandmother and Ooh. she is vulgar and rude and she wants to claim evelina as her own but um doing this will ruin her reputation so she has this pull between these influences in her life but this this woman ends up being a very comic figure in ways that really show up again when you read austin um so you'll, you'll feel very familiar uh with that type of character so this book is really about the powerlessness that women had during the period, um, and that's that's what I'm interested in. Um, Evelina is constantly at the mercy of different men around her and the whims of her guardians, and she can't really do anything without a chaperone. And so that's just a terrible position to be in, and, and it makes you appreciate how much things have changed in uh, the last 200 years. So this book is also critiquing the new consumer culture that kind of emerged during this time where everyone was always trying to indicate their status through their goods and that was kind of a new phenomenon for the middle class um, that had always been the case with the rich but not the middle class all of these are things that i i learned about in college that i i kind of am enjoying revisiting a little bit um in college i got very interested in women's literature throughout history and sort of the idea of what women write when they're writing for other women and the the fact that women have to often write during this time period to survive for themselves and also to support their families and that this type of literature has always been looked down on and not been seen as serious and that's still the case that's that's how um, mm -hmm. we look at women yeah. writers now and it definitely changed the way that I thought about domestic fiction authors I, I kind of as a teenager in my 20s was very very dismissive of that kind of writing and now I, I really see the purpose of it and you know women women taking control of their lives by by making their own money basically so so this this book 
kind of is part of that that exploration for me personally. Frances Burney was an extremely smart woman. She was a, a gifted writer and a gifted businesswoman. But even in the way she's been portrayed throughout history, she's she's been really uh, downplayed. So it's really only been recently that she was allowed to be called Frances Burney instead of Fanny Burney, which was basically an attempt to to frame her as girlish and unserious mm-hmm. and to downplay her abilities, which which is really sad but also just i'm endlessly fascinated by by this concept so this is as i've been saying a great read for me in light of what i know about feminism now and i'm also really interested in the development of cities and so it's cool to see london at this big pivoting point in its history and then it's also just fun to read a story that's very obviously influencing one of my favorite authors who is jane austen so that is evelina by francis burney that's so fun. I've heard of her, but I've never read her before. So I need to this, add her. And this one uh, is pretty short and her other books are giant. So this is the okay. one to do. This is the one to do. Yeah. All right. Well, so I am going to excuse Jeremy now and say thank you for joining us because <laughs> our brand new foster dog who we got yesterday is howling downstairs oh. because she is sad, I think, to be down there by herself. Yeah, going she to hasn't her been alone friend? yet until now. <laughs> I oh, think no. we're, yeah, I think we're going to name her Pomegranate. Oh, that's a good name. Um, so he and he has he has a call at night. So Jeremy, thank you for joining us on thank this you, episode of Well Fed. Thank you for having me. <laughs> I hope that we were kind and generous hosts to you. Of course you were. <laughs> a very uh, welcoming podcast. Well, that's so nice. <laughs> And thank you for letting me join your... I'm so glad you did. And thank you for cooking with me for two weeks. Oh, you're very welcome. And thank welcome. you for being game for, for doing this. Yeah. I Holly would have said yes, and I was no, all excited. I, was I flat out would not have said yes. Yeah. Just, I, yeah no. She's like, I don't know. I'm like, that could be really fun. We could make stuff. We could take pictures. Yeah. yeah. So I talked her into it reasonably quickly. Yeah. So, Sweet. But notice that he did most of the cooking. I did the desserts, but he yeah. did a lot of the cooking. <laughs> I fine. did a lot I of the prep uh, anyway, so thank you. You're I hope you'll welcome. come back again. Absolutely. All right. What I am reading this week is a book called The Comeback by Ella Berman. And I don't know, I feel like I'm seeing this book everywhere right now on social media. So uh, you may have already heard about it, but I didn't know anything about it. It just, I was seeing it everywhere. And sometimes when I see a book everywhere, I feel like I want to be in the know and I want to read what everybody else is reading. Uh, it starts the first couple of pages are the scene with a man and a woman in a car. It's clear that they are in some sort of very tense interpersonal situation. The woman, the woman is clearly angry and about to drive the car off a cliff. Oh. <laughs> and then it jumps to six weeks before and you learn about this woman named Grace Hyde who is at her parents' home in Anaheim, California, you quickly come to realize that she was, she's only about 22, I think, 22 or 23. And she was discovered at a young age in her early teens. I think she was 14 um, and was cast in a very successful series of movies about teenage assassins. And, it just skyrocketed her, skyrocketed her to stardom at a very, very young age. And now she is 22 or 23. She has been back at her parents' house for a year. Clearly, her life kind of fell apart. <laughs> but so the story 
gives you enough hints of what happened to lead to her having this episode where she decided to go home to realize that she was discovered when she was 14 by this super hot indie director. So the guy, he was just a Hollywood darling. He's very attractive. He makes these movies that get all sorts of accolades. And he he and Grace work together a lot. So he's putting in her in all of his movies as she is going, getting a little bit older from 14 to 22, you know. And um, I sort of got like a Jennifer Lawrence, uh, Darren Aronofsky vibe. I don't know if oh, you're familiar, okay. but where it's like he, she was his muse kind of thing. And, um, but it was clearly not the healthiest of relationships. So she will remember times where he was incredibly emotionally manipulative to try to get a good performance out of her, very much would tear her down to try to build her back up and he would belittle her. And it's just clearly not a healthy working relationship. So she came home about a year ago under circumstances that aren't immediately clear, but you get enough to realize what happened. And then throughout the story, you hear more and more to understand how famous she was, how famous she still is, but she has retreated from the spotlight for the past year. So she doesn't have the best relationship with her parents. Her mom was a model when she was younger and has always clung to that a little bit. She has, it seems that she has an eating disorder and spends all of her days watching the Real Housewives franchise or other reality shows kind of disconnected from the real world and and Grace perceives it almost as her being jealous of her success because her mother was a model but never qu- quite reached the heights of success that Grace has. So they have a bit of a tense relationship. Her dad's there but kind of disconnected as well. So she just doesn't have she's just not in the best place mentally and psychologically. And then uh, her her sister, she has a younger sister who is away at boarding school and she does something that gets her kicked out of boarding school. So when the sister comes back home, that prompts Grace to decide to leave and go back to L.A. So she's going to go back to L.A. It's clear that she had substance abuse issues and possibly tried to die by suicide a year before. So she's walking back into a life that holds a lot of fraught emotional baggage for her. And it's clear that... um, she has very unresolved feelings towards Abel. Uh, that's the director. And at, as I said, he, he was extremely emotionally manipulative and possibly, um, is, or I should say, more likely emotionally abusive and sexually ab- abusive. She tries to go back. She was actually married. And so she goes back to her husband, who she hasn't spoken to in a year. He has a new girlfriend. They let her stay with them for a little while, but then she decides to rent a place on her own and she goes and she finds a place and she rents it and then it the reader learns that it is in viewing distance of the director's house so if she has binoculars on she can no. monitor what's happening at the director's house and the director's wife is there and and Grace knew the director's wife because part of when he was first discovering her at age 14 his wife came to dinner with she and her parents to try to say how they would take such good care of grace and so she knows his wife so she kind of insinuates herself into his wife's life a little bit um shows up and says that she's back and his wife 
is pleased to see her and and also wanting to make sure she's okay and take care of her. And he is out of town. He is off somewhere um, filming or, or doing some sort of Hollywoodish thing. Uh, so <laughs> uh, I think I want to leave it there because part of the enjoyment is, or enjoyment is, is a strong word for a book that ultimately is about the Me Too movement. But um, part of part of what is appealing about this book or keeps you invested in this book is is watching it all unfold as Grace herself tries to figure out, is she truly coming back to make a career comeback or does she want revenge on Abel? The reader isn't sure. It seems like maybe Grace isn't even quite sure of what she wants out of her life. And and I think it's probably accurate when she's dealing with some of these unresolved feelings that she's not quite sure what she wants. Does she... Does she want to confront him? Does she not want to confront him because she's unsure of what the fallout will be from that? So there's a lot going on. And then there's a lot of commentary about the entertainment industry and what they value and how much they value success and how much they value money. And so if there's a successful director, people might look the other way because for their bad behavior because they're making a lot of money and so they're not going to call them out on the bad behavior that they're that they're witnessing because they want them to keep producing great movies that are going to win awards and make a lot of money and so there's a lot of commentary about that but it's it's even more about Grace's interior self and and what she is dealing with and it's very compelling reading I have to say I don't it wasn't the I expected it to be more of a thriller, I think, from what I had read of the description, and it's not. I would say it's more of a, there is tension there, and you are, aren't are certain how it's going to end and how what it's going to build to, but it's really more about Grace and how and what she's going through and what she has gone through and, and what the industry, the entertainment industry, allowed because she was famous or what they I don't know all about perception versus reality and and what she what she has to go through and how much people criticize her looks and her weight and all these things and how hard it would be just to be in the public eye so uh, I recommend it it was good that it's again not light reading it's an easy read because it's it moves for it's it's propulsive you want to find out what happens next Um, and it's not difficult to read from a word structure or a sentence structure way, but it's heavy. It's a heavy topic to think about. You, of course, make real life comparisons to things that have happened in the last few years in the entertainment industry. So uh, that is The Comeback by Ella Berman. Okay, so let's go back and list off everything we talked about today. Okay, I talked about Zahav, The World of Israeli Cooking by Michael Solomon. I'm saying it wrong every time. <laughs> Solomonov and Stephen Cook. Uh, Chinese Soul Food, A Friendly Guide to Homemade Dumplings, Stir Fries, Soups, and More by Chow Ching Chu. Brave Tart, Iconic American Desserts by Stella Parks. And what I'm reading this week is Evelina by Frances Burney. And we talked about Meals, Music, and Muses, Recipes from My African American Kitchen by Alexander Smalls. My Korea, Traditional Flavors, Modern Recipes by Huni Kim. A Blissful Feast, Culinary Adventures in Italy's Piedmont, Marema, and La Marche by Teresa Lust. And what I was reading this week is The Comeback by Ella Berman. 
So if you'd like to get in touch with us, uh, you can email us at wellreadpod at gmail.com. You can find us on our Facebook page or on Twitter or on Instagram at wellreadpodcast. We'd love to hear if you have a favorite cookbook that you want to share with us now. I think Jeremy and I have been bitten by the bug. I think we're gonna, going to be seeking out other cookbooks and doing this. We just, I just had so much fun with it. I thought it was really... It was a fun experiment to to cook multiple things from one yeah. cookbook and do it over a few days like that. I thought it was really fun. So please give us your cookbook recommendations. Also, if you could rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or your other podcast provider of choice, we'd appreciate it. Helps people to find the show. Our theme music is Kitten by Pottington Bear. We keep our show notes at wellreadpodcast.wordpress.com where you can find a listing of every book we talked about in this episode as well as all of our others. Thank you all for listening. Happy reading and happy eating. (laughs) Puns. Puns. We love them. (laughs) Bye-bye from the Well-Fed Podcast. (laughs)